Welcome to Queensway Pentecostal Church, leading people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope you're blessed and inspired by today's message. Well, church, I hope you had a great time of worship. Let's pray right now and again welcome the Lord's presence. So God, thank you for allowing us to come together and worship you in this way today. Father, we're so grateful that no matter where we are, we can join and worship with our uh, Queensway family and worship you, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one who lives, the one who died and rose again. We're so grateful today. Father, would you be with us as we hear from the servant of the Lord today that's prepared uh, the word that you're about to give to our family, our church family today, Lord. So Father, would you be with us Would you bless Pastor Wayne and his family in these days? And would you continue to be with us and our own families, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are excited to be able to uh, host Pastor Wayne Giroux online today. And uh, he uh, shared this message just a few days ago with our in-person crowd at Queensway. And I'm so excited for you to hear from him today. Uh, Wayne is the youth director for our district, and he has a great responsibility in leading and training youth pastors across our district for the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. And we're so honored that he traveled. He actually traveled a long way to be with us. So we're so grateful for his um, willingness to come and share with our church and uh, humbleness just to uh, be with us in this time. So grateful for the opportunity to uh, connect with him and for him to share with our church family. Here he is. God bless. Thank you. Um, It's okay with the title thing, Pastor Katie, because in in the video, she kind of called me the regional director and there's no regional in my thing. But But I do have probably the world's worst title. Um, So I am the youth director for the Western Ontario District of the Pentecostal Assemblies of Canada. That's my title. So you're like, that doesn't make sense. That's so long, but it's all good. Um, So when people get it wrong, I have complete grace for them because... It just makes sense. Awesome. I'm so thankful to be here today. Thank you for allowing me and inviting me, Pastor Jason, for uh, inviting me to come. I do apologize that my wife and daughter were unable to be here, but I, you know, it's always funny when you go to a church and you, and you don't really know a lot of people there. And so I always like to kind of start by introducing you a little bit to me and to my family. So I actually brought a picture of my family. And so this is my family. I'm the one with the beard. Yeah, that's, that's good. Thanks for laughing. That helps me. That helps me a lot. Um, so that's my wife, Bev. Uh, we've been married uh, for 17 years. It'll be 18 in January. Um, and that's our 11-year-old daughter, Melody. And so she was 10 at the time this picture was taken, but she turned 11 in June. And we had a really big surprise planned for her. We were going on a trip to Florida for her birthday, but it was June 1st. And I don't want to go anywhere near Florida right now. So um, so that was canceled. So I had to go out and buy her another present. That's what had to happen. But that's okay. Um, and so this was taken, this picture was taken on vacation uh, about a year ago. We had, back when you could travel, um, we, we went on vacation. And so both pictures were, um, the one on the right is, is kind of just calm and fun and, and everything is great. The interesting thing about the picture on your left, which would be my right, is I have to confess that is a 100% fake smile. 
I am not really smiling. You see the difference between the two pictures. You can see this is more of a real smile. That is a completely fake four-picture smile, and here's why. So these pictures were taken. We were in the Dominican Republic on vacation. We happened to be blessed and have the opportunity to go, and we are on a catamaran, and, and you can't really see it from where you are, but we are on the edge of the boat, and there is just a thin wire. There's like two thin wires. You can kind of see it. I can see it from where I am because I know what I'm looking for. But there's two thin wires right behind us. And so you don't see my hand around my wife like it would normally be in a picture. It's because I am holding on for dear life on the edge of the boat. Because I'm the type of person who gets scared in moments like that. And in that moment, that is my scared smile. That's the, okay, we're going we're gonna to smile for the picture, but I'm really quite scared that I'm going to fall off the boat. I would never go that close to the edge of a boat because it's just, that's, that's just not wise as in, in my opinion. And, and I know other people are like, you know, not as weird as me and not as afraid as me, but um, I was super scared in that moment. So funny little fact about me in that picture, and I always show that picture because why not? Might as well be afraid, right? Um, I'm so thankful to be here, and, and I was reflecting on this picture and on some of the things, and it's interesting. Um, I really appreciate um, what pastors are doing during this season. And so before I go any farther, I just need to give a shout out to your pastors, Pastor Jason and Pastor Katie, for the great things they're doing. I cannot imagine what it would be like to pastor in this season and to have to navigate the different rules and things changing pretty much hourly. And so, you know, full props and full shout out to them for their ability to lead your congregation through this season. Because I, similar to the picture, I tend to be a little bit more on the worried side. I tend to approach things with a perspective being a little bit afraid of what could go wrong. I remember, um, you know, there's all kinds of situations in my life where I think about what could go wrong and how this could get bad. And so in a season like this, I can only imagine how difficult that would be to be the leader, but also being super afraid. And that's the nice thing. I'm, I'm not in charge of anyone, so it's okay. <laughs> Nobody, nobody's being led down a scary trail. But I, like, I think of little things. Like I arrived here yesterday and I left early so that I would, you know, be on time and, and, and have lots of time, but I worry that like I'm going to sleep in or what if I get lost on the way from, from where I'm staying to the church? What if, what, what if, you know, my jokes aren't funny? Well, that's not possible, but you know, maybe, maybe it's more like, what if they're too funny and they're distracting? No, I don't know. I'm just kidding. Um, or what if I preach too long or what if I preach too short? And I, and all of these things go through my mind at all times. And so today I want to talk about the idea of what if, it's the, the way that we approach situations, and it's the idea of what if something were to happen. I believe that we spend a lot of time thinking through what if questions in our lives. And so I, I believe that, you know, there's all kinds of situations. And you're a little bit like me because you can think of situations. You know, if, if you're a student watching online, you're thinking like, what if I raise my hand and give the wrong answer? I don't know if you remember that from school, but that was like one of my biggest fears. I I, my, my pastor at my home church, actually, he'll do this thing where he's like talking and he's expecting the congregation to fill in the answer. So he'll be like, Jesus loves, and then he'll drop the blank on you and you think he's going to say me or you and you don't know, but you don't want to say the wrong one. And so I, it's very stressful for me. I, I, realize I'm, I realize how I'm coming off here, but that's okay. But it's like, he always does this and I'm always like, 
I will lean over to my wife and tell her the answer because I'm afraid of saying it out loud. Or, or, you know, this is one that I learned when I grew up. Like, what if the mortgage payment comes out before the check is deposited or like before payday? Like, how do you navigate those things and, and dealing with those kinds of stresses? Or uh, a big one for me, uh, you know, what if your sports team loses to the Leafs? Like... And then I have to listen to the Leaf fans talk about how they beat. And listen, I'm an Ottawa fan, so that happens a lot. Like, it is not going well for us. It's okay. The future's better. Um, or, or, you know, in a more serious way, what if, like, what if somebody finds out that secret? What if that thing that, that you know about yourself that you don't really want to admit, what if somebody finds that out? What if... Uh, what if he or she realizes that you may have lied to them? Or, or what if he or she is lying to you? You know, it's interesting because with my personality, I tend to think through these things a lot. And they keep me up at night a lot of times where I'm thinking through, like, what is this? And recently, I was in a conversation with a mentor of mine. And he kind of challenged me on two ways of approaching what-if questions. The, basically, the two words that we use, the two things, the two ways we approach. And they're going to come up on the screen. But it's paranoia versus pronoia. I don't know if you're familiar with these words. I'm only 85% convinced the second one is a word, but he used it and, and it stood out to me. Um, paranoia versus pronoia. My family, we have this practice we started in 2018 towards the end of 2018 where we would choose a word for the year. And so... At that point, I had just resigned as youth pastor at my church, and I was stepping into this role, and I was like, okay, I don't know what's going to happen. So I chose the word adventure, and my wife chose a word, and my daughter chose a word, and I don't remember what theirs were, and that's okay. But then as we got into 2020, and kind of as the year shifted, my wife's like, we have to do this again. We need another word. And so she actually did it. I was away traveling and my wife decided on her word for the year that it would be, uh, well, my daughter actually chose first because for some reason the two of them did it together and my daughter chose hope. And I was like, oh, I'm so encouraged. My daughter had broken her leg in January and, you know, she was struggling with friends at school and I was like, man, choosing hope, that's so great. And then my wife chose trust because she's on a bit of a journey as far as work stuff and, and whatever. And so she chose trust. I was like, man, that's awesome. And I came home and I was like, they have a little board with, you know, the letters that you like have to pick out and put on the board. And I was like, that's great. And so then one afternoon, they're like, you have to pick a word. And, and they had left. And I was sitting there and all I could think of was rhinoceros. And so I went and got the letters and I put the word rhinoceros on the board and they're like, you can't keep that word. And I'm like, hope, trust, rhinoceros. It just makes sense. And then I tried to come up with like a spirit, but in a conversation with a mentor, I actually came up with this, he came up with this word, pronoia. And so just to, just to kind of, and so that's what I've kind of adopted as my word. So the first word that we look at is paranoia. And some of us are kind of familiar with this word. Paranoia is the, the fear that something is going to turn out wrong. It's that bad things are going to happen. And so typically, if, if you were to say that somebody is paranoid, usually it's they're worried that something bad is going to happen. And so this can be like, you know, you ask yourself questions like, what if I, what if I try and fail? Or what if I don't have what it takes? Or what if, what if this isn't true? You know, and this is what we see in the world we're living in right now, right? Lots of people questioning, what if, you know, what if this is a conspiracy? What if, you know, I get sick? What if all of these things and all of these bad things could possibly happen? And, and we can be crippled by that a little bit. But the second way to approach things is through the word pronoia. Now, pronoia is the belief that something good will happen. Again, I'm not 100% convinced that this is a real word, but this is what 
the mentor who was talking to me, he used this word. And so it's, what if I do get accepted to this university? What if, what if we really do win this game? What if this does go well? What if, what if, you know, my family is safe? What if, what if, and it, and it, it's like, what if the best things happen? And I believe that these questions can affect every area of our lives. And so this morning, I want to take a look at a story from the life of Jesus. But before I do that, and this will be a little awkward, I recognize we have to recognize all of the social distancing and, and all of those rules. But most of you, I'd like you to just take a moment and talk to the person next to you. Um, I've got a question for you. Or two questions. And you just have, I'm only going to give you like 45 seconds, so it's okay. It won't be super awkward. But here's what I want you to talk about. I'm like, what are some places outside of COVID-19 that you experienced this idea of what if? Where you might, what are situations where you might think what if? Um, and then the second is, are you more likely to focus on paranoia or pronoia? And so even those of you at home who are watching online next week or this week, because you'll be watching it online and it'll be this week then, um, just, po- just like turn to your family and just actually answer these questions. I'm going to give you like 45 seconds, okay? Go. So I didn't time it, so I'm just going to jump in. And, and the, the hope is that it, I, my, my purpose for giving you the questions is I want you to actually take a moment, even if it's just by yourself, to think about what, what, where we're going and what I'm saying here and, and to actually apply it to your life. I found this you know, quite helpful with students where you actually like pause and give them a moment to think about what we've just said. Um, and so that's what I wanted to do for you. And so I, I have a couple more times that we're going to do that. So sorry if that's awkward. Um, Anyway, uh, we're going to jump into a story which is found in the book of Mark chapter 6. Now, um, the book of Mark was written by an actual biblical character, uh, which is really cool, Um, but it's not one of the 12 disciples. And sometimes people think because it's a gospel, it had to be one of the 12 disciples. It is not. He's actually found in the book of Acts by the name John Mark. And so it's believed that Mark met Jesus around the Passion Week, which is uh, the week right before Jesus' death. So kind of, you know, it's literally the time that they made the movie The Passion that's that week. That's when that is. Um, it's believed that he met him there. It's also a really cool fact if you're ever talking to a Sunday school teacher and you want to impress them, like this is a good fact for you to know. It is believed by many that Mark's house was actually the one where they had the Last Supper. So it's like he's the guy who owned the house. And so that's kind of a cool little fact for you to throw to your Sunday school teacher um, and impress them. And it just shows Bible knowledge. It's really good. Sort of way. You can impress your pastor later too. It, it works. Um, interesting things about the book of Mark that I find really interesting is, first of all, Mark seems to focus on the miracles that Jesus did which is really cool because he's very caught up in what Jesus did, his actual actions. He spends less time talking about his teachings and more about what he's actually doing, which is really cool, which is why it's a little bit shorter because he doesn't include as much of the teachings. And the second thing that's really cool is... um, he writes to a non-Jewish audience. So when you read the Gospel of Matthew, you, you get all of this historical context and he talks about the laws and, and all of the different things. Whereas when you read Mark, he doesn't presume that you know those things. So he doesn't include a genealogy of Jesus. He, he just goes right into the action, which is kind of, uh, kind of good as a, as a good starting point. But we're going to read from Mark chapter 6, beginning at verse 36. And it's a story that 
I, you know, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you have heard this story before, but, but let's read it again. And it goes like this, beginning at verse 36. It says, send the crowds away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages to buy something to eat. But Jesus said to them, you feed them with what they asked. We'd have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people. How much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. Whenever I read, I'm always like, was there brown grass? And I was like, no, 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 just sit on the green grass. I, I don't know. Um, it's, it's not said there, but he specifically says green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up towards heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted. And afterward, the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. Now, this is a story we've all heard. Or, or if you, like I said, if you've been around the church for any length of time, you've heard this story. I, I didn't even grow up in church, but my parents would ship me off to Sunday school as a kid because it was, they used to have a bus that came around and picked children up, which when I was a kid, that was allowed. And so, um, that, that, I, that's how I got introduced to the church. And I can remember as a kid making bread and fish out of Play-Doh because this is just such a common story. It's one of the first ones that we, that we tell our children to show the miracle of what, what Jesus can do. It's so, so common and so popular, but don't let the commonality of this story, um, allow you to miss what is in this story. It's really easy to look at this story and think it's about food. This story is not about food. It looks like it's about food. And the people, the, the people who are there and being fed actually think it's about food. But it's not about food. There's, but I do think there's a couple of really awesome things in this story that can affect our lives and applies to us today. And the first one is this. God wants to work through you. So we see in this story that Jesus... The disciples want to send people away and Jesus is like, no, 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 no. And he puts the responsibility on the disciples. So look at what it says in verse 37. It says, you feed them. Like the disciples are, are sitting there and they're like, hey, it's, it's getting kind of late. People are getting hungry. Jesus, hangry is a real thing. That's like when people are so hungry, they get angry. That's a real thing. There's a big, massive crowd. It's, it's worse than any Tim Hortons drive through on a Monday morning. Like it's, it's massive amount of people and they're all getting hungry. And, and, and it's like the, they're worried that people are going to riot and that this is going to get out of hand. And they're like, we need to send these people away. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You feed them. He actually puts the responsibility of feeding these people on the disciples. He says, you feed them. Now we know, we've read the whole story. We know, we know what happens in the end. We know that Jesus is actually the one that feeds them. But he does it through the disciples. The disciples are the ones who take control of the situation. It's the disciples who have the people sit down. It's the disciples who go around and look for food and then bring that food to Jesus. And then Jesus creates the miracle and the disciples distribute. He intentionally works through the disciples. And I believe that's applicable to our lives as well. There's, there's biblical precedent. God can feed people without help. Like, the Israelites in the wilderness are fed and God, is, God isn't like, hey, by the way, you know, 
can you, you know, Israelites, can you help me feed? No, he just does it on his own. There's, there's biblical precedent. God has the power and the capability to do it without people. But in this miracle, Jesus says, I'm going to use the disciples. I'm going to use you to teach you here because I actually want to do something with like through you. And that I believe, I mean, if I'm Jesus, I, I have a flair for the dramatic sometimes. And so I'm, I would have made it rain chicken wings. Like, like that would have been really cool. Or maybe I've, I've clearly given this way too much thought, but like a plant that grows up and then it like at the very top as it grows, it just kind of opens and there's a cheeseburger inside, like, like proper beef cheeseburger, not a vegetarian burger, even though it's growing from a plant. I'm just saying no, no offense to anybody who's vegetarian, but I just, that's, that's what I see those kinds of things happening in this moment. And, and if you have that power, it'd be really cool to do it, but he doesn't instead. He says, no, 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 no. Go see what you have. Go. I want, I want you to feed them. He gives them the responsibility because he wants to work through them. And I believe that's one of the first lessons we can pick up from this story is that Jesus wants to work through our lives. So I'm going to do that awkward discussion question thing again. Here's what I want you to, uh, here's what I want you to think about or talk about. It's what are some ways that God partners with us? What does that look like in our everyday life? And God wants to work through us. How does he do that? Again, I'm going to give you about 45 seconds to just to ponder and maybe discuss with the person beside you. Um, people at home, discuss that with, you know, the other person on the sofa. And, and we'll be back in just a few seconds. Once again, when I say 45 seconds, I'm just guessing. Um, I'm not, I'm not timing it. <laughs> but interesting when you think about the fact that like, as we look at this story and recognize that God wants to work through people, once we begin with that framework, then we can begin to understand, okay, God wants to work through us. God wants to work through me. God wants to work through QPC. He wants to do something in Espinola and he wants to work through us. What does that look like? Well, the next point, the next thing that we have to grasp is un first understanding that he wants to work with us. But the second is that he wants what we have. He wants what we have. In verse 38, Jesus says, how much bread do you have? He asked, go and find out. And, I, and again, this is just maybe my personality, but I read the story and I look at like, what would that look like? Again, they're on the side of a hill. There's 5,000 men plus children and, and women there. There's like thousands of people. I can just picture the disciples walking around. Hey, you got any food? Psst, hey, 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 anybody got any food? Like walking through the crowd. Anybody got any food? They didn't have a sound system. They didn't have, you know, uh, hey, if, if you could just drop your tent or drop your food off in the tent by the pavilion over there. Like they didn't have that. They didn't have a band playing like do it again with buckets you could put your cheeseburgers in. Like they didn't, they didn't have that. It would have been them just working their way through the crowd saying, hey, it's, it's like an actual active thing that they have to do because Jesus is telling them, find out what you have. Um, and so then they're like, okay, let's go look. And, and again, we're familiar with the story. They find a very little amount of food. What's interesting is out of thousands of people, they find very little food. Five loaves, two fish, right? Do you think it's possible? And this is just, this is speculation. This is not in the text. This is just a thought about the text. Do you think it's possible that there would have been people who had food that didn't give it? Because I do. 
Because what we know about the culture, we know it's a dry culture. We know that there isn't a Wendy's camel drive through on the way home. Like we know that, that there isn't necessarily all of the places to go and get food. So on a journey like, like, okay, I showed you a picture of my 11 year old. Two days ago, my wife is going to the beach and she's taking my 11 year old and I see her packing a bag and I'm like, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, this is food for the beach. And I was like, but you're going after lunch. Yeah. And you're coming back before dinner. Yeah. What's with the food? She's like, oh, we have to have snacks. We can't, we can't go all the way to the beach without snacks. If we go without snacks, then I'm going to have to buy something. So instead, I'm going to raid the fridge and take what we have. This is what life is like with children, right? But this is what, again, there would have been children there. There would have been families there. There would have been, there would have been people with food who were like, we, we have food. We just, yeah. And then, and then I try to think of like, what would be your motivations to not share? Like imagine, hey, Jesus, the one we've been listening to, who's been teaching for a very long time, much longer than Wayne is on a Sunday morning, I'm just saying, but he's been teaching so long that we're all really hungry. Do you have any food? Well, I think people wouldn't share because A, they'd feel like what they had wasn't enough. They'd be like, oh, I've only got two sandwiches. I can't, I got three granola bars and a Tic Tac. Like I can't, I can't give that. That wouldn't be enough with this crowd. And then the other would be even that thought of, but if I give it to you, I wouldn't have any. And, and sometimes we can have that kind of focus. And, and this obviously translates into our lives when it comes to our gifts and our talents and our time. And, and I, I hate to say this, but even our money, like it, it, we can think, oh, but then I won't have enough. And we don't recognize that, that God wants us to give what little we do have. And this is where it, it spills over into back what we were talking about a moment ago, the, the paranoia and the pronoia. It's the paranoia is that approach when God, we find out that God ha- wants what we have and we're like, oh, but what if it's not enough? Oh, what if I say the wrong thing? Or what if I get up on the worship team and I play the wrong note? That was my, that was my life when, when I was first youth pastoring. I'm not musical at all. And to stay, and it was like required by my lead pastor that I led worship and it was the worst thing. And that's why the church closed. No, it didn't, but, but it all, it, it could have, it was that bad. Thankful. I'm so thankful for the piano players and the people who just drowned me out. But it like, there was so much fear of like, what if I, what if I sing the wrong note? What if I, what if I make a mistake again, all of the things I thought coming in today, what if I sleep in? What if my jokes aren't funny again, not a problem, but what if, but then we, we translate that not just into what we give God, but into who we are. And then it becomes like, what if God doesn't love me? What if God is mad at me? What if God doesn't, what if God won't, or what if God isn't? And I believe we need to shift to the pronoia, the concept of what if God is, what if he does, and what if he will? Because the third thing that I want to, to talk about today is that God wants to do something. This is, this is where this story really hits home for me is I don't believe that Jesus is sitting there being like, well, I fed a bunch of people 2000 years ago. Hopefully the church can make that work. I don't believe that at all. I believe he's like, I showed you what I wanted to do and that I could do amazing things. And I, I was, it's like, I believe Jesus's life is an object lesson for us. And it's, he's like, look what I did. You gave me like five loaves of bread and two fish and look what I was able to do with it. If you will give me what you have, I can do something amazing. I believe so strongly that the church is God's plan A for reaching the community, for reaching Espanola, for reaching this whole region. And he doesn't have a plan B, but it's us who have to say, okay, what if I surrender? 
what I have to him? And what if I actually give him? And the thing is that he wants to do something and he can do a miracle with whatever we give him. Um, it's, it's so, yeah, I just put the verse up there. I just put the verse that describes him doing the miracle because that's what happens when we give him what we find, when we give him what we have, when we recognize that he wants to do something with us, then all of a sudden he's able to do something amazing. As I said at the beginning, this story isn't about food. It's about what God wants to do. And I think there's life lessons we can learn here where it's like, oh, we can do what he wants us to do. He can do great things through us. I shifted my vocabulary a few years ago instead of saying God wants to use you because that to use somebody has a negative connotation and it can feel like, oh, he just wants to use me. And, and we talk about people using people and that's not what's happening. Instead, God wants to work through you. He wants to do something great with what you give him. And I believe that that, that affects not just what happens in here, but it affects what happens out there. And when we think about how does God partner with us and we think about what we can give to him, then all of a sudden he's able to do something amazing. And we've seen it time and time again throughout all of history. The, the greatest times that God has been able to work is when people say, God, have your way. And we say it in our prayers. We're so, we're so you know, simple and almost dismissive when we say it, when it's like, God, have your way. But if we actually meant it and we actually followed through and we actually allowed him, if we actually gave him the loaves and fish, I believe that God could do something amazing in our hearts, in our lives, and in our communities. And I believe we can partner with him to have an amazing impact on the people around us. Because I believe this story is repeatable and it's not about food, but at the end of the day, whatever we place in his hands, he does something amazing with. The disciples had an active role in this story. It was not a passive role. It was not a sit and wait. It was a, it was a do. It was a give. They had to step up when Jesus gave them responsibility. They had to ask for food. They had to bring it to Jesus. They had to distribute it to the crowd. They gathered the leftovers. It was a very active thing. And I believe that's what God is calling us to. And so maybe you're here and or watching online and, and you know, you've had some of those paranoia, paranoia thoughts about God and maybe, yeah, he wants to do something great, but it's just not through me. If I could just speak to you for a moment as somebody who struggles and somebody who uh, spends most of my life living in evaluating things with paranoia, not that I'm paranoid, slight difference, but not with paranoia, but to shift our focus to pronoia, all of a sudden we, we accelerate what God wants to do. And by giving him, he can do amazing things. And so if you're watching online, if you're here and you're thinking, man, I, I don't, I don't necessarily have that relationship with Jesus. I want you to know that he is a very quick prayer away. He, he wants to have that relationship with you. He wants to have a place where you can give him things and he can do great things and he wants to use you. And you might say, well, there's reasons I'm disqualified or reasons I don't, I don't fit in the box of what Jesus, Jesus was never about fitting in a box. He was about doing things that people didn't expect and doing great things with people who are surrendered to him. So I just want to invite you, if that's you, to, to, to just take a moment and I'm going to pray for you and, and I'm going to pray that you pray this prayer with me. And if that's not you and you're like, yeah, I'm, I, I have this relationship with Jesus and I get it. Then, then I want you to think about what are the things that God's calling you to partner with him in? What are the things that he's calling you to surrender to him and to give to him? And then I believe he can, he can work through that. Let's pray. God, I thank you 
for the opportunity to be here in Espanola today. I thank you, God, that your word is true. I thank you for the miracle you did 2,000 years ago, but I thank you that it wasn't just about 2,000 years ago, that it actually sets an example of what you can do in our hearts and our lives. I pray for those watching or those in the room, God, who may, uh, who may have had a relationship with you and something has come in between and maybe there's uh, selfish ambition or things that, that have robbed us of intimacy with you. I pray, God, that, that the words, God wants to do something in your life and through you would, would resonate deeply in our hearts, God. I pray that we would surrender our lives to you, surrender our gifts and our talents, that we would, uh, that we would see the great things you want to do through us, God. We pray for this church. We pray for this community, God, that you would have your way, not in a flippant kind of, oh, that's what we say, but in a very real, in a very passionate plea, God, we ask that you would have your way in this congregation, in the future plans, and in the things that, that you want to do through Queensway, God. I pray that, that your hand would be upon the leadership team, upon the board, upon the uh, pastors, and upon the congregation as they are equipped to do the work that you have called them to do, God. Be with us this day in your mighty name. Amen. Thanks so much for having me. I do have, uh, I call them lunchtime questions, so you don't have to discuss them now, but there's stuff you can take away with you. The last two questions is, uh, you know, for those of you watching, you can actually just, when the video ends, you can just go over these questions. Uh, what is something you need to shift your perspective about? So this going from paranoia to pronoia. And is there something you need to surrender to God so that he can do something amazing? Awesome. Thanks again for having me. I'm going to turn it back to Pastor Jason, and he's going to come up and say hi. Well, thanks so much, church, for joining us today. I uh, hope you were blessed by this message. Take it to heart. Apply it in your life. Even those uh, take-home questions will be great for you to uh, mull over in your own mind, as well as those that have been able to join with you today. And we trust that you've had a, a wonderful time joining us today. Uh, we'll, be get, we'll be together, excuse me again, uh, same time, same place next week, 9 and 10.30 a.m. online. We hope that you're able to join us once again next week. Pastor Katie is going to be continuing our Beatitude series. We look forward to hearing from her next Sunday. God bless everyone. Have a great week, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information on who we are, visit our website at qpcespanola.com.